0: Hey everybody, this is the Classic Gaming Podcast, I'm Robert Ring. Today's date is July 16th, 2016. This is episode 62, that was Alone in the Chaos, with our intro music. With me is Blake Corey. Hey! And Blake Corey! Hey! We, we, ha- we have two Blake Coreys this time, instead of one Blake Corey and one Jay Tadaro, because Jay is apparently on vacation. He said there was a chance he might be able to make it. But it that turned out we heard. That was the last week that was yeah, exactly. That was the last week. Like that was like a week ago. He was like fifty fifty. Yeah. And then he must have gone off to like Africa or something. So anyway, this may be a shorter episode than usual. Jay will be back. Should be back for the next one. I was gonna see actually if if like I was gonna see if you want to do like if we all three wanted to go ahead and just do one next week because we've been missing so many, but I can't do next week, so. You
1: son of a bitch. I didn't want to bring it up because I also didn't want to, like, lock into that. And I'm like, oh man, I got other stuff going on. I want to relax <laughs> sometimes. Shit. Now now I just get to be mad at you. Damn it, Robert. You're ruining.
0: You were tearing us apart. I took the fall for the team, is what you can think of it that way. Whatever. So hopefully we'll be back. In two weeks after this episode, with a regular number of hosts and a regular time, a regular amount of time in between Ain't episodes. Nothing regular
1: about us. Hey, boom! Get it? Really I'm get actually it. calling us weird, and I'm saying that we can't keep a regular schedule. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> there, <Huh. Damn. laughs> we got some. Shut up in the background.
0: The peanut gallery doesn't get to we contribute. Got... Jesus, man. So you went to Summer Games Done Quick, Blake. Uh, you don't have to give us an in-depth rundown or anything, but uh, how was it overall? It was fun. Good. I-, I watched a lot of it uh, during the week. You know, of course, obviously it was streamed up. I watched pretty basically
1: much... no runs. I pretty much spent my entire time, um, like, just hanging out with friends. I watched sure. maybe 30 minutes of runs down in the room itself. Damn. Most of Holy the runs shit. I watched, I watched on sh- uh, on stream from my laptop in my hotel room.
0: <laughs> you couldn't just walk down the street to go check down out the street?
1: Other. No, I would, like, literally hop in an elevator and go down there <laughs> and be in the room. That's a, a lot of the runs that I wanted to watch were, like, super packed. Or they were, um, like,
0: I was just waking up and I was still naked. What do you want? <laughs> Didn't they stream from, like... What time did the stream start and end each day? It was like Uh, 24-7. It
1: It didn't end. That's what I thought.
0: Okay, I thought it was – (laughs) so. So, but but you couldn't find any time in there. No, I was busy getting
1: drunk, going down into the pool, hanging out with my friends, talking to people, doing things.
0: All right, all right.
1: Ain't nobody got time to sit down and watch runs. Some people did. No, no, they did not. Okay. You shut Uh,
0: your – It was good overall. Which ones did you watch?
1: Um, I got in for a little bit of Tetris. Oh, that was good. And I was in the room. I was actually next to the couch for the Necrodancer run. And I'm trying to think of what else. I feel like there was another one. I know I made it in for a few more, but I can't remember what they were right now.
0: Sorry. Monkey Island, right? No, no, no. I'll kill you. <laughs> uh They, um, I was, I felt so bad because I, I was like... I was watching all week, and then I was, like, waiting for, like, a really good one, and I was going to donate some money, but then I totally forgot to donate money. What a loser. Oh, I was watching it. So, I donate some money to Doctors Without Borders on my own, but I meant to do it on them, and then I just totally forgot. Like, by the time I remember, I was like, it was like, after they were done, I was like, oh, yeah, I still need to, oh, man. So, I feel like a little bit of an ass. A little bit? But... Just, no, yeah, oh no, yeah, just a little bit. Oh. I'm wow. gonna, yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not gonna feel too bad. I don't feel too bad.
1: <laughs> I don't feel too bad. I had shit to
0: do. What do you want? <laughs> um, so, uh, well, in news, which I guess we'll move on to, we got, I've just got a couple, well, I've just got three things. One is the remake of System Shock 1 has been funded on Kickstarter.
1: Surprise, surprise there.
0: Surprise, surprise! It's got eleven. Well, they didn't like destroy it or anything. They're they're safely past their goal, but they didn't totally kill it. Well, I guess. Well, how it's much longer do now. they have? They still got. They, got 11... they still, yeah, no, they still have eleven days. You're right. Okay, yeah. They got eleven days they left. Don't they don't were asking <laughs> because
1: huh? honestly, I don't think they'll get too much more because honestly, I haven't heard it talked about for weeks now again.
0: Well, the interesting thing.
1: Maybe once a week.
0: The app- cool thing that. <laughs> the cool thing that they're doing this time, so, well first of all, it's got 11 days left, their goal was 900,000. They made, so far I'm looking at it, so far they've made 1,040,000. And, uh, but the cool thing that they're doing is they've actually released a demo of the game that's free to download. You can get it from GOG right now. And, I'm my, I mean, I'm sure that's pretty much a result of all of the shit Kickstarters that have gone to shit in the past, however long we've been doing this podcast pretty much.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, but now, but they actually have something that you can play and try out and be like, okay, I want to see where this is going. So that, that was kind of cool. I, I've downloaded it. I haven't played it yet though. I meant to play it for this episode so I could kind of like talk about how where- dare you what the demo was like. But I, I question your devotion to Sparkle Motion. I'm sorry. I'll try to play it for the next one. How about that? All right, fine. But anyway, by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably, you'll, I mean, there still should be plenty of time left for you to go to uh, GOG, download the demo, check it out on Kickstarter or whatever. Uh Real quick, this, uh, well, this didn't specifically remind me, but this is something that I've been keep meaning to bring up, uh, just kind of as a side note, and I keep forgetting um, the Dark Souls board game Kickstarter that oh, yeah. was like a few—it was like two months ago, or maybe even a little bit more than that. This thing—it's not, first of all, it's not related to the podcast at all. But I was just kind of astounded by it. So, the Dark Souls board game had a Kickstarter. I'm pretty sure it's ended by now, and they were asking for uh sixty thousand dollars. To, uh, to make the game on the Kickstarter. In the first day, they got over a million dollars. Jesus fuck. Yeah.
1: I thought they'd break a hundred thousand first day or something like Oh yeah, well, that's <laughs> impressive. That's not bad at all.
0: No. <laughs> oh my god. They made, okay, well, I'm sorry. It's, it's, uh, euros. So whatever that comes to. I think it's... What? Yeah. Well, no, okay, no, I think no, I think what I said was right because it says fifty thousand euros, and I thought it was sixty thousand dollars. So it's some sort of equivalent. What's a euro come to right now? Euro. I don't
1: know. It's recover It fell down and now it's recovered. I don't know what. You're okay,
0: it, one. Okay, it's pretty close. One euro equals one dollars, one dollar and ten cents. So, oh, okay, that's
1: what. I thought. Yeah. So because really recently, like, it was one point one seven or something. Anyway.
0: Yeah. So anyway, they yeah, they made a million dollars the first day of a $60,000 goal. It ended up with them uh making close to 4 million euros. That just blew my fucking mind. God damn. I mean, I guess if anything if anything is going to do that, it's not really surprising that it was this because the game you know, it look like a pretty badass board game. Uh and it sounds like a really cool idea, but still like
1: yeah, that much that, that was, fast.
0: That was fucking sure. insane. Uh, back to, back to, back to news. Uh, Empire Magazine did an interview with the producer of the upcoming, uh, Tetris movie. Apparently, the story is so big that it's actually gonna be the first of a trilogy. Didn't we talk about that last time? I don't, maybe. I don't remember a song. Maybe we did. We talked about the we talked about how it was going to be made like a few like a few episodes back. Yeah, I we feel
1: like about about the last that episode was, we talked about that
0: it was going to be a trilogy. Uh, which just uh, uh, uh I I mean they keep saying it's really not like like nobody really like we can't tell you what it's going to be like but it's really not what you're thinking like nobody like has any idea like what we're really doing. But like that just makes me think like like, why – I mean, obviously, maybe they'll surprise us. I, I'm going to wait and pass judgment until the damn thing comes out. But, like, I really hope this isn't something that's just basically called Tetris. Just to have Tetris in the name and then – I don't know what I ho- – actually, I don't know what I want. I don't know if I hope that's not what they're doing because then they're just trying to cash in on the, on the Tetris name. Or if I hope that they're actually – I don't know. Cause either way, it sounds terrible. If they, cause if they do try to make it anyway related to Tetris, like I, just, I don't see how that, I just don't understand how that can be, how this can be a possible thing. Yeah. Uh, I,
1: I, I'm not even paying attention to the movie. I just don't give a shit about it at all.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably the best course of action here for now. <laughs> and then finally, I'm sure you've heard about this. The Nintendo Classic Mini has been announced. This is a little tiny baby Nintendo. And it oh, plays... Yeah. And it comes preloaded with uh, 30 Nintendo games. I think it's going to cost like 60 bucks, And it's uh, it's got HDMI output. So all of the games are apparently uh, up resed. You cannot like it only like you can only play what comes on it. You can't like put a cartridge in it or anything or like download anything else onto it. It just comes stock with these 30 games and that's what you get. Uh I again I believe the price for this is going to be 60, but I can't find anything hard on that. So uh it could if 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 you are someone who doesn't like you know really want to get into buying the original consoles and stuff like that, but you want to kind of ha- still have something physical to buy. Uh, this is, this is kind of potentially pretty cool, actually. The, uh, the titles it's coming with, I'll go down the list real quick. We got, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down on each of these, alright? Alright, Blake? Okay. Alright, we got Balloon Fight. Thumbs down. Down? I don't care about Balloon Fight. I
1: never played it, and I have no interest, really. Alright, seems bubble. like a really nonsensical platformer kind of thing. It's not really platforming, but yeah.
0: Bubble bubble. Um, thumbs up. Okay, Castlevania. Thumbs up. Castlevania Two. Thumbs down.
1: <laughs> Donkey Kong. Um, like the arcade type Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. Uh thumbs up, okay.
0: Thumbs okay. Yeah, I'm okay.
1: Donkey Kong Junior. Uh, I don't remember the differences with Junior.
0: Yeah, I so just, I, I, don't, I, I don't guess for me, it. I'll
1: just say down. I right know. I
0: just clicked it. Is it is a different says, game.
1: I remember it's like fundamentally different. It plays quite differently, but I just don't know how.
0: It says I, uh, I I, The description says Donkey Kong has finally been captured by Mario in this unique role reversal platformer. You play as DK's son junior and must save your dad from Mario's clutches. Yeah. Swing claim it looks like, it looks like a it looks basically like the same game except you're playing as a little baby Donkey Kong. Uh anyway. Double Dragon two um i can't remember
1: much between one two and three i no want to say
0: i'm gonna give it a thumbs up just because it's double dragon it's it's an old school beat 'em
1: up i haven't been big on them on the podcast if you're looking for that and yeah for me personally i don't care about those anymore thumbs down all
0: right dr mario
1: i have never actually been a fan of the dr mario series thumbs down oh wow
0: that's funny because i usually don't like games like that but i used to really like dr mario uh excite bike thumbs up big thumbs up Fuck yeah. final fantasy
1: thumbs up even galaga. if the original is not great it's uh it for deserves me personally still. it's part of my legacy
0: yeah uh galaga
1: galaga god there's so many space shooting games is that that's the one where you're oh oh i actually played it at sgdq there was an arcade room there uh, Galaga's oh, cool. okay. This guy kind of like one of the original. There are much better shooters to play, though, I feel like. Thumbs okay. down. Oh, okay. Ghosts and Goblins. Thumbs up because I hate myself and I like games that are that <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Gradius. Uh, Gradius thumbs up. That's one of the... Ice- it's... I, I like the gameplay mechanics a lot more than Galaga, even if the game is a giant middle finger if you ever die. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's one of those,
1: like... Yeah, like, if you uh, like, lose your power-ups, that's it. You're done. You're yep. done, son. Uh-huh. Ice Climber. Um, I've actually played about five minutes of this now. Seems like an okay kind of game. I'll say thumbs up.
0: Okay, cool. I haven't ever uh, had the chance to play Ice Climber, but I really want to. I didn't until very recently, and it was a,
1: seemed actually kind of interesting.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: Kid Icarus. Thumbs down. What a terrible game.
0: I, I can't remember if I've ever actually played this or not. I, I think, think I've I played a it.
1: little bit of it, but I've watched Game Center CX where uh, Reno plays it, Chief the Chief,
0: and it looks awful. Okay. Kirby's Adventure. Thumbs up, I guess. All right. Mario Brothers, the original, where you're, where it's like, what oh, screen? the first. Yeah. Uh
1: it's a fun versus game. Thumbs up if you have someone else to play with. Thumbs up.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Mega Man 2. Thumbs the fuck up. Metroid. Uh I don't know. Thumbs up I guess.
1: You don't know. I haven't played the original, remember?
0: Oh, uh, oh you haven't played it at all?
1: Yeah. Oh okay. Well, th- then... not that I remember. If okay. I ever did, I don't remember anything about it.
0: Okay. I'll give it a thumbs up for you. How about that? I'll step in on this one. Ninja Ninja Gaiden. Again, uh,
1: just like Ghosts and Goblins, I hate myself. Stupid, hard, fun ninja game.
0: Thumbs up. You're all about those. Pac-Man. Thumbs up. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I hear you on that one. Uh,
1: it's another one it's it can be a little fun. I, I, I thumb up ish. Punch out. Thumbs up. As a kid it was really difficult to appreciate the kind of difficulty that they wanted. It was it's it's Dark Souls. Honestly. It's Dark Souls without walking around <laughs> looking dark for the next souls. boss. Because you've got to learn your boss patterns. You've got to learn their tells and all this kind of shit. It's uh and it's very form. dark souls in that regard. Except it's a lot more
0: punishing than Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This one, it says, uh... I've never seen it called this before, but the title... And you, and when you click on it to get more description, it just says Punch-Out as the title, but on the main oh, list it's the Oh, it's
1: the Mr. Sandman thing? Miss, Mr. Dream. Mr. Dream, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Sandman's a different character in the game. Yeah, they have to do that because they don't have the rights to use uh, Mike Tyson's
0: likeness. Yeah, but didn't... But wasn't it just called punch out
1: um i don't know i think it's been both okay they do both i think it's full title is supposed to be featuring mr dream or mr all-star get your game
0: i never knew that i thought once that they like stopped being able to call it uh, mike tyson's punch out i thought it was just called punch out yeah i don't know uh star tropics
1: uh thumbs down, what a bad game. That's the one where you need the instruction booklet to get through one of the puzzles of the game, I think. So, oh, really? for this particular uh for this particular release, it's got to be a thumbs down cuz they're not going to release the a uh, big instruction booklet with it unless there's like a PDF file on the Nintendo as well that you can pull up in the game and be like, "Oh, this is what I'm supposed to know."
0: Okay. Super
1: C. Um, I've not played Super Contra. Or at least not that Super Contra. Yeah, you because Contra on the Super Nintendo was called something else. It's basically a harder Contra. I always enjoyed Contra, so I, I guess I'll give it a thumbs up.
0: Alright, Super Mario Bros. Uh, the original? Thumbs up? Yeah. Super Mario Bros. 2?
1: Thumbs up-ish. I
0: don't never know. really like that one. I do
1: and I don't. It's, it does some things that are cool, and then it does some things that are absolute shit.
0: Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. Uh, Super Mario Bros. 3?
1: Thumbs up. Probably the Tec- best game on the list.
0: Techmobile. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh,
1: Techmobile, and uh, Thumbs down.
0: Legend of Zelda? Thumbs up. And finally, Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. Thumbs down! Is there, is that a bad game? I've never played I don't it.
1: like it. I don't like it whatsoever. It's, Dude. uh, it's like a, so the original Zelda had some problems of being like, hey, you need to go here to do this, but it's really poor about telling you that kind of shit. Zelda 2 is also very bad about that. It's 10 times as bad as Zelda 1 as far as like oh, wow. hidden passages, needing to go into this area with this item and use this spell, blah, 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 all this kind of stupid crap. Okay. I really don't like the design of Zelda 2.
0: I kind of thought about maybe buying Zelda 2 recently, but I might not, if if that's what it's like. I mean, you can
1: download it somewhere and try it out, and then be like, okay, I don't hate this. Yeah. Maybe I'll buy it.
0: Now, the big thing,
1: my big problem with this Nintendo thing is that most of this stuff is available on the Nintendo eShop. This is a little goofy item that I don't, there are not that many games on there that I would want to buy in the first place. So... For me, it just is an item that would sit on my console area and collect dust.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a collector's item more than it's a practical thing.
0: Yeah, it is. You're right. What's, like that uh, was... what's
1: the pricing on it, actually? Because it's like $60. I, bucks. Think
0: it's, I think it's $60.
1: So put it this way. If there is something like five or six games on there that are also available on the eShop that you want, then you can buy that and you're coming out ahead because you're getting those five or six games that you want as well as also getting the other 25, 24 games. But for me, that doesn't like, even if I wanted to buy all those games, it doesn't outweigh the fact that it's another physical thing getting in the way of a lot of stuff. When I, I, I'd rather just have space there. I'd rather not have something literally collecting dust. So,
0: yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like, it's sort of like a gimmick. There's not yeah. really like, I mean, I, I guess if you don't have a Wii U or something like that, then then I, then maybe yeah, that's a good reason absolutely. to buy it. But when you go to uh, like like I said on this list on Nintendo's site, they got a list of the games. You can click on one to get more information, and, and some of them have a video of the game, just like a little you know like trailer or whatever. And yeah. when you click play on the video, it literally shows someone playing it on a Wii U. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. it's it's a little awkward, but I mean I guess I can't fault them for uh for for throwing out some uh classic games and making them marginally more accessible. I don't know, whatever. Yeah,
1: I i mean, sure, whatever. I get it. I just don't care myself.
0: Yeah, I'm not really interested in it, but it's not it doesn't it's not like it doesn't like offend me or anything. Yeah,
1: I like, I'm not even gonna get into the legality or the morality of, um of retro games and emulation and all that shit. And whether these are going, this, like this is going to support Nintendo, but it's not going to support the developers that helped make those games when they came around and all sorts of stuff like that, blah blah. blah. So, eh. We'll leave it up to the
0: audience to decide. How yeah. about that? Yeah.
1: Oh obviously Uh, it's up to them i'm not going to tell them how to live their lives (laughs) except for the part where i tell them to give me money i mean
0: that's not that's not what we're about
1: (laughs) well no 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 no. did you get like split personality disorder don't throw this we shit around don't speak for me
0: what What we don't speak for you
1: you said that's not what we are about yeah yeah and don't don't do that don't speak for me (laughs) don't do it
0: how would i agree it's funny about
1: that? that Is that I'm saying? Don't speak for us when we were just saying, um, "Oh, hey, well, we're going to let them decide." And it's like, yeah, no shit. It's just there are layers to the joke, Robert. Let's move on. You've ruined it again. I think I got it halfway. <laughs> I don't know if you did.
0: <laughs> you got it know. halfway
1: through me explaining it, maybe.
0: <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go on to, to games then. Uh, I think I went first last time, so why don't you go first?
1: Alright, so, since Jay's not here, and I've got some catching up to do, we're gonna talk about two games, and guess what, everybody? It's two RPGs, so kiss my ass! I thought they were gonna be two point clicks. No, god, no. So, alright, so the first game I'm gonna talk about is Grandia 2. This was a game that was originally released on the Dreamcast, I don't know when it came out, Robert, your silly rules don't apply to me, deal with it. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I was actually playing I'll the Steam version. Good for you. You don't have to tell us, though. I don't uh, know when the original release was. 2000? I thought it was like 99, whatever. So it came out on the Dreamcast in 2000, and then it was got a PlayStation 2 anniversary edition, I believe it's called, that came out a year or two or some odd later. Apparently the PlayStation 2 version was terrible. But the thing is, even the Steam version wasn't that good. The game has some, uh it's got its share of issues. We'll get around to those. So this is a game that's been talked up to me as one of the absolute classic pinnacles of JRPGs. Uh, my roommate slash sort of ex-roommate, since her stuff is all here and she pays rent, but she hasn't like stayed here in her room in a month now. She talked the game up big to me. <laughs> A friend of mine by the screen name of Martin Broadcloak talked it up to me. Um And a couple of, of my other viewers also talked the game up to me. So I was looking forward to it. I was like, okay, this is going to be an older game. It's going to have some flaws, but it's going to be a really, really, really good experience. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. And so then it got a Steam release, I believe, last year around September, Uh maybe even like October. And so I Looks bought like, it. Uh, yeah, sorry, go on. You're, yeah, that's pretty much right. Okay. So I bought it, and I was like, all right, I'm going to play that for RPG, or I'm going to finally get around to getting through that. It's been a year of people telling me how good this game is. I'm going to make that happen. It did not live up to the hype. And uh-huh. I, as someone that doesn't even normally get too super hype about games, I wasn't hype about this. I was looking forward to it. Uh, but it didn't even quite meet those expectations. Uh, it's definitely a game of the time that has aged like milk It does not stand up as well today. It's one of those games where it's, like, it's very trope-heavy on, like, uh, there's a Sundar character. You've got your goody-goody two-shoes kind of character. What's Sundar mean? It means, like, there's this girl that's into you, but she's mean to you, basically. Okay. So there's that going on. And then there is uh, just, like, a lot of tropish kind of anime characters. And people are like, well, it's before the tropes become, became a thing. And it's like, that doesn't mean that they're any more interesting. Like, I, I can't give it a pass just for that, just for funsies. Um, So a lot of the characters and the story stuff has aged really not well. Storyline, it turns, like, you're working kind of for the church, and then it's like, oh, the church is evil. Spoilers, oh no. You couldn't see that coming if you ever go to play the game. And if you couldn't figure that out, I'm sorry, but I doubt you can even read the text on the screen. And let's see, what else does the game do? I think my favorite moment of the game was the fact that the main character, you'll love this, Robert. It's kind of a good thing that Jay's not here right now. <laughs> okay the so this was Pretty a good. fully a more or less fully voice acted game uh, some of the dialogue doesn't have, oh, okay. didn't have voice options, but the main character was voiced by liquid snake holy shit so this happens with a lot of the characters the, <laughs> the character the main character is liquid snake the bird what? that follows him around is voiced by the colonel holy uh, shit the whole like the whole cast honestly the whole voice cast was um <laughs> It, they must have hired whatever studio did the work for Metal Gear Solid, because it's yeah. at least half a dozen, if not a dozen, <laughs> voice actors that are from Metal Gear Solid. So every time a new character came up, we, everybody in my chat, we were all like, wait, who is this? I know this voice. And we'd look it up, and it's <laughs> like, there you go, another Metal Gear Solid character, because of course it is.
0: Notably, uh, I hear you're leaving out David Hader, so I take it he's not in here? No, he was not in
1: there. I was disappointed. Okay. I never heard him anyway. Okay. So we're going through the game, and because this is Liquid Snake, every time he attacks <laughs> in battle, I hear Liquid Snake going, what does he brother, say? brother, brother, brother. <laughs> he says, uh, just like he announces attacks, and he's like, Oh, God, I got hit. It's just combat, <laughs> action RPG combat, stuff like that. Okay. And so every time he would pl- hit and in battle and all this shit, I would just tab <laughs> out from the game, go over to a YouTube video, and hit play on it, and it would be a sound clip. A collection of Liquid Snake going, brother, brother, brother! Just shit like that over and over. And I would just do that though. For, like, the first day was probably five hours of this. And Holy the shit, end of the stream. How did I miss this? I don't know. You would have had a blast with this though, man. I know I did. <laughs> so then, as it turns out, later in the game, you find out that one of the big bad villains of the game is the main character's brother. So this whole time, I've been playing up this brother joke. I don't Holy know shit. anything about Grandia too. So he's like, I've got to go kill my brother. And I'm just like, <laughs> what?
0: What? No, that couldn't have just happened.
1: <laughs> Holy shit. And guess who his brother is voiced by? Himself? Solidus Snake. <laughs> I am not no. making this up. I could not fucking believe it. Oh, it was perfect. (laughs) It was so, so perfect. I was in love with that moment alone. It was actually some of the most fun casting I've ever done because I don't know the game at all. I don't have attachments to it. So I just dicked around and had a lot of fun with stupid (laughs) stuff like that. Oh, man. It was hilarious. So, gameplay-wise... Uh, you have characters that die, etc. There's all those kind of stupid stuff, and Wait, like
0: like permanently or yeah,
1: like one of your main characters dies near the end of the game and then gets replaced immediately.
0: Wait, so it's like a scripted thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, okay,
1: okay. He sacrifices himself so you can get away. It's it's, it's a lot of tropey stuff. So gameplay wise, the combat. Uh, so getting into combat, actually, let's start with that. I really liked this in this game especially because I kind of wanted to get through the game as fast as possible. I wasn't in love with my experience, so I was like, yeah, I just want to go. You're able to avoid battles. This is a very um, – I'm trying to think of one. Like Super Mario RPG, that's one probably a lot of people should know, where you'll see the enemies walking around the field, and you can just dodge them, walk around them, and not get sure. into a fight. I really like that aspect. I'm glad that uh, as I'm going back and playing some of these games, I'll I'll play a few uh that ho- have way too high of an encounter rate, and I'm like, this makes me want to die. And yeah. then I'll go and play a different game where it's like, hey, I can avoid all the combat if I want. This is fantastic. Uh That first category that I just mentioned, where there's way too many random encounters, yeah, my second game is that, by the way. Okay. That, though. So the combat itself, uh it's... You've got your uh, field, so it goes in, and your characters move around. They have a movement statistic, but you don't really control where they move or anything. It's very much like in 3 in that regard, where you'll have uh, these characters in this field, and there are AoE attacks that hit your characters, but you can't control where your characters are standing at any time. So you might be like, oh, he's about to bust out at this attack. I really want to move this person out of that radius so they don't get hit. But you can't do anything about it. You're stuck in there. All that you can do is can uh, tell your characters to like go up and attack and use this ability, etc. Shit like that. Okay. <sighs> um, this is one of the things that I didn't like. This aspect of the battle system. It's actually very annoying. In this game, it's not as bad. I remember wanting to throw my disc because of this in Sweeken Three. And getting into a fight where my guys would just stand in the middle of a giant area attack and just all get destroyed. I'm just like, why are you so dumb? Why are <laughs> yeah. my as the dumbest people ever? <sighs> Aside from that, other things that the combat does is that instead of, like, each individual character having this, like, ATB where you see that their bar is filling, there's one bar that you see everybody on, all of your characters and all of the enemy characters, and what happens is that there's the big blank space where you're not able to do anything, and then it'll fill up about three-fourths of the way. And then whichever character it is gets to choose an action to perform. Depending on what action they pick, it'll have a different charge time, uh, they'll be able to cast it from different ranges, so on and so forth. So then the last one-fourth of that bar is them, it's the character charging up that particular attack. One of the cool things about the combat system that I didn't have to take advantage of all that often that was actually somewhat annoying to try to play and use is that if you hit a character that is in that last one-fourth while they are charging up their attack, if you hit them with a specific kind of attack that cancels their moves, they'll get basically stunned and they'll go back down to – instead of having one-fourth of the bar left to go, they'll be one-fourth full. And they'll have three-fourths of the bar left to fill. Oh, weird. So this actually adds an interesting um, dynamic to making decisions about what moves you should do, when you should do them, so on and so forth. And I did like that aspect. I wish it had been a little less annoying to take advantage of. Uh, and then there is the character growth system, probably my favorite part of the game, my favorite aspect. You have, instead of each character having a specific group of abilities, like this big group of abilities that they learn and that's all they have access to, what you have is you get your eggs and skill books and then each character has their own built-in abilities. And I think the built-in abilities are called moves. So every character has their own set of moves that they can do. And you can't equip these moves and give it to another character or anything like that. So you level these moves up using one of the types of points that you get from winning battles. You get um, experience, magic, coins, they're called coins, and then skill coins. So for the moves, you use your skill coins to level them up. As you increase an ability, it has, in general, I think it doesn't get more damage, but it does get more uh, a faster charge time. So, like when you max out a move at five stars, it charges almost instantly. One tick of the bar advances, and your character goes off. It's actually very useful for some of the cancel abilities, uh, which don't it, you really take good advantage of the touch later on. Which is what I started to do with some of the, uh, some of the bosses. Get quite. Um, what else? Wait, so then, all some, right. Some the, you right, cut
0: right. out for a second. Some of the bosses, what? Some of the bosses
1: almost require you to take good advantage of that later on. Okay. Uh, and then, so then there are the skill books. I believe that, yeah. So they're called books, and you can use is uh, in the skill book. You can use their magic coins, or you can use skill coins to power it up. And these are really passive effects. These things like increased HP, increased MP.
0: Hey everyone, sorry we had a quick little hiccup here with my internet connection during uh, Blake's conversation about his game. We did lose about two or three minutes of that, so there's going to be a little bit of a jump here. I apologize. There is a similar edit later on in the episode. Hopefully, I'll be able to edit that one together smoothly enough to where you can't tell. Uh, But if you do notice a short little jump, a weird jump in our conversation, that's what's going on there too. Sorry about that.
1: All right, so unfortunately, we ran into some technical difficulties, and I don't feel like figuring out exactly where I should pick up
0: from what I was it talking about. It was right about. around when we were talking about the uh, Tetris game. I don't feel like figuring out
1: exactly where I was and what I was talking about. So my wrap-up for Grandia 2, it's an okay game out of 10. Uh, it didn't live up to the hype that so many people had given it for me. Um, it had been talked up pretty hard of like, Oh my God, this game's so good. You need to play it. I can't believe you've never played it. I'm not mad that I played it. I don't feel bad about that or anything. <laughs> uh, like, it's not like a game that I'm pissed off that I spent time on. It was interesting. To hear it the... wasn't terrible. And I did get some amazing, <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs> voice acting. That was quite worth it. Yeah. Um, so enough about that. My next game. I mentioned uh, that an RPG that has far too many encounters, and good lord, is there a lot of are there a lot of those. Uh, so we'll, the next one is *Sweekitn 2. often oh, heralded shit. as the best by far of the, uh, the *Sweekitn* series. Um, and I, from what I've been able to play, I would probably agree. I've played one; I uh, one is good. I played two, we'll get to that, and I've played three and I hate three. Uh everyone always harps on four really hard and someday I'm going to play five. I'll figure it out. Um, let's see. What uh what to start off with with Suikin and two though? So it's a turn-based combat system. It's not an ATB combat system like Final Fantasy games. It's uh, turn-based, much more like the older Final Fantasy games, such as Final Fantasy 1. So you'll choose your team to take their actions. You can have up to six members on your team, and then those six characters will act, and then the enemy will act, and then it will go back to your turn. Now then, you have six characters on your team at a time. Up to six characters, I should say. Suikoden is known for every game having 108 recruitable characters. Now, out of these 108, only a certain number can be taken into battle per game. The rest of them sit around your castle and they do other things, such as let you change your window colors, change your sound effects. They let you participate in cooking games. They let you take baths to go into hot saunas and things like this. Uh, there's probably, I want to say, at least half of the characters are battle-ready. I know you've played through Sweet 2, right Rob?
0: No, that's the one that I haven't played. Okay, you've played one then? I've played like sixty percent of one and I've made okay. three. Okay. Um did you one hundred percent three? Uh I got close to it, but okay. no, not quite.
1: So the do you know? Uh, like how many characters can take, you can take in a battle in three to kind of remember? Uh,
0: I don't remember. It's been too long. I feel like it was more than 50% though.
1: Yeah, I'd say at somewhere around 60 or 70 of the characters, probably. I'm sure I could Google it, it and find out. Right. But just to give you an idea, you can take out of those 60 or 70 characters, thereabouts, you can have uh, six in battle at a time. Now the game itself is about war. I think that's a that's true of every game in the series. It's about war boiling over. It definitely happens in one, it is in two for sure. In three war is building up, and then four and five, I'm not totally sure. But the first three for sure. Uh and what's happening in two is that you're the son or the adopted son or adopted grandson. You always call him grandpa Genkaku, so I guess they it's a little bit different than adopted son, which is strange, because it's not like he adopted your dad, and then your dad had him. Whatever. <laughs> so you get adopted by this guy who was a general in one of the armies that were war- was warring years and years ago. And he's also, like, a martial artist. He's been training you. He's a really good guy. He's been raising you and your adopted sister. And you guys are all very close. And then he dies. And so you join the army, and you and your friend... Uh, are in the army, and then it turns out that your commander is a traitor who is now working for the other army who is now trying to start a war up again. So you and your friend run away. Eventually, you guys get split up, and you get two of these runes of power that are the strongest powers that unite the universe. Damn. So you have the bright shield rune, which is something that's uh, thought of as a defensive kind of thing. Where you're you're more passive, you're more caring, compassionate, etc. And your friend gets the Black Sword Rune, which is about um, driving power and everything that comes with that. We'll say, <clears throat> excuse me. So as time goes on, you end up getting your own castle. You start recruiting people, and eventually, uh, you and your friend get. To confront each other a few times, your your adopted sister dies, or does she? Ooh. Oh. And so on and so forth. Uh, overall, the game is not bad when you look at it like this. Unfortunately for me, what bothers me so much about the fucking game is that it takes... Well, all right, there's a few things. Since we have already started talking about the combat, let's focus on that a little bit more for now. Uh, the combat itself is fine. It's a little bit binary a lot of the time in that you'll be going up against bosses, and they'll eventually get to the point where they're always taking two attacks around. And for the most part, at least one of their two attacks, if not both of their two attacks, will be an AoE attack that does so much damage that if you don't heal up on the next round, you will die. It's actually very boring and very simplistic in that regard. Uh, it hurts the game quite a bit. The other thing that I hate is how often the game forces you into having forced party members. What that means is that, like I was saying earlier, you've got this cast of at least 50 characters that you can take in a battle, and it's probably more like 60 or 70. But you don't get to choose which characters you want to take with you. At any time, almost literally any time in the game, you have one if not two or three forced party members. This is even after you get your castle, because for a long time, you're very railroaded, and you can only use who is currently joining up to adventure with you, regardless of who you might want there. Then later on, once you get your castle, and you're able to choose your party members, even when you get to choose them, there will be a few forced party members on you at almost all times. And this is something that I hate, because you have this huge cast of characters, you've got... You're never going to connect with them, like, on an emotional level, really. You're going to look at a character and say, that guy seems really cool. I want to use him in my party just because he seems, like, fun. Unfortunately, you never get to do that because you'll get one or two people forced into your party. A lot of the time, the characters that are forced onto you are uh, short-range characters. I'd say maybe, like, 50% of the time, they're a short-range character. And what that means is that your party formation is three in the front and three in the back. That sounds lewd when I phrase it like that. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Apologize.
1: Uh, So you've got your three front-line characters, and short-range characters have to be in the front line to use their weapon. Medium-range characters can fight from either row, but they can only hit enemies in the front row. Long-range characters are able to fight from either row, and they can hit enemies in either enemy row. Enemies have the same party formation that you do. They have a front row and a back row, just to explain that. So a lot of the time you'll have a short range character forcing their way into your party because they need to be there to tell you how to go and raise your country essentially to help you out because they're friends with this person or whatever the excuse is to force them into your party so that you have to bring (laughs) them with you. And I hate that because you're, you're getting, you're losing at like almost all the time. You're losing at least one short range character slot. So that slot is gone. That means you have two characters that you can put in the front line uh, with short weapons if you are personally inclined more towards those character designs or whatever it is about them that you like. And then, I mean, just the fact that you're also, even if you're not c- taking into consideration the fact that you have to limit based on that choice, based on, like, making the most out of your party slots, you're just plain getting your party filled with characters that you might just be totally tired of. So you might want to use – the you might have your eyes set on five characters Go along with your main character. And the game is just like, nah, son, you have three characters that you can choose for this next mission. You have two characters that are forcing themselves into your party along with your main character. So choose wisely. And it's just like I don't want to use these people. There's this huge cast of characters that I, like, really am into the designs of so many of them. And then it gets to a point where you just aren't – they just don't mesh with you at all anymore for so many different reasons, whether it's they don't mesh with you, they don't mesh with the new people you've recruited and all this other stuff. And it really grinds the shit out of my gears that they force party members on you as often as they do in a game. It's completely uncalled for with the kind of design that Suikoden games are known for where you, have, you recruit 108 different friggin' characters. It's dumb. I don't know why people defend that. And my other huge gripe with the game is that it takes about 15 – 10 – I'd say 10 to 20 hours for the game to really get going. So as I said oh, earlier wow. – Um, so the game is about 30 hours long, 30 to 35 hours if you're 100%ing it and you're trying to recruit all 108 characters. You don't get to start using, you don't even like get your castle until about 10 to 15 hours in, I think. And even then, once you do get it, you're still very, very limited for a while in what you're really able to do. So about 10 to 15 hours into the game, you're getting your castle and that is a third to a half of the way through the game. That first segment, it's forced parties, it's railroaded, and it's just completely locking you down for that whole time. And for again, for a Suikoden game, that is not what I want to see. It's really boring with the kind of ideas of recruiting all these characters. I want to be able to go out and explore the world. I want to have my castle. I want to be able to put people into my party and all this stuff. But no, you have to wait. And not only do you have to wait, the early parts of the game are a lot of walking around and waiting even then. You walk into an area, and an enemy will show up, but you're too weak, so you're hiding in the bushes because he's burning a whole village down. (laughs) And it's like, he leaves, so you finally get to come out after he told someone to act like a pig, and then he kills them anyway. And you're like, well, that guy's a real dick. So you go back, and you tell these people that force themselves into your party all the time what's going on, and they're like, well, we should probably run pretty soon. But we need to defend ourselves a little bit. Here, go talk to this person. So you go off and talk to this person. Then you come back and all this shit. And it's just so slowly paced for the first 10 or 15 hours. Maybe even the first 20. And then for the last 10 to 15 hours of the game, you start getting some freedom. Things start to pick up, and it starts being a not slog to get through. Um. Actually, there is one other thing I greatly dislike about the game. Swee games often have a war phase, so you'll have your normal regular battles. Swekend three has this as well, right? Where you control a group of units. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, and the first one does too.
1: We yeah, like yeah, the first one does the first battles.
0: one is very different, and
1: I think threes is also very different as well. Yeah. but uh, it's so this is the kind of phase I'm talking about. This is the war phase where you control rather than just individual characters, you control characters that are controlling a unit, like an army unit. In this game, unfortunately, there are probably, I'll say 12 of these war battles in the game. I'd say there's around 10 to 15 of them. Oh, Let's that's go a with lot. 12. It's a fair amount. The problem is, you only have any actual, quote, control. They're, they're just not gameplay. You get, out of the first seven or so, I'd say you get to have an actual control and impact in one of them. The rest of them are designed to further the story, which if you're going to do that, Uh, don't waste my time making me control a unit and moving him around at all. That's pretty lame. It's really frustrating because you get into it, and then it's like, all right, maybe this one I can finally do something and actually control the fight. And instead, it's just them giving you another tutorial or going, oh, no, we have to retreat two turns into the battle because this other (laughs) unit showed up, so we run away now. Over and over and over and over throughout the game. It's always there just to set up another story event happening. So it's like one character will run away in this fight, and then your army has to react to that, and that's why your army retreated. And then it's actually just a trap for the enemy. And there's another time where you there are two units on the field, and you literally sit there and watch them wait in the middle of a forest for probably three minutes while the army chases them down across the map across the war map, that you're not doing anything during, and then the u- the enemy units get there, and what happens? They light the forest on fire. And that's the end of the war. That, that little <laughs> war battle. That little uh, sequence. That's the entire point. It is shit-tier design. I don't know why people are so willing to forgive this game for so many of its fucking faults, But it pisses me off. It's a good game. It has its good points. But it has so many screw-ups as well. And honestly, I'd say the war battles are probably the biggest screw-ups of the entire game. Um, Things that I like about the game, the art is really good. The music is good. The story, when it's being told uh, and it's not being told to you in a really shitty way, is a pretty fun, interesting little war story. Uh, the other thing is Luca Blight, who is sort of the main antagonist of the game, who is the guy that you watch burn down a village, and then he tells a woman, if you don't want me to kill you, walk around and squeal like a pig. Get on all fours and act like a pig. And she does, and then he cuts her head off anyway. The guy's a total psycho, and it's actually very endearing uh, in a way. He's one of the most fun antagonists in any video game, let alone in a JRPG, and he totally makes the beginning of the game. Right. Um, overall, I, I now um, I know I've made it sound like I don't like the game much, and I think it's a good game, but it is woefully overpraised. Um, it's good, but it's not great at all. I like the game. I'd recommend it to people. It's, it's definitely worth a playthrough. If you want to go for all 108 stars and 100% the game on your first playthrough, you are going to have to use a guide. Um, overall... It's not a bad game.
0: Um, the end. To get back to your question about 100%ing *Sonic* in three, I did actually 100% it as far as getting all the characters. Right. Yes. But then there That's were, what I mean. But okay, there were a couple other things that I didn't do. Yeah, like you but, didn't collect
1: uh, every window set and every sound set and stuff like that.
0: The main thing that happened to me was I forget what the stipulations were, but like you you unlock. Uh, other main characters that you can play through the game a second time as really and I don't yeah like there that. Are, there are two that you can unlock I think the first one you unlock just by beating the game and there's a little dog in the game and you can unlock him if you beat it without losing any of your uh, characters in one of the big battles <laughs> and uh, I like I think I thought that I had not lost anybody, but apparently I lost, like, one or two guys in the battles, and uh so I didn't un- I didn't get to unlock the little dog. <laughs> but, like, I don't know what... I really wanted to see that, because the dog... It's, it's not, like, an anthrop- anthropomorphized dog. It's just, like, a regular little dog that runs around, so I really wanted to try playing through the game as a dog. I don't think there's, like, really much of a story. I think you would just be kind of, like, running around exploring the world, pretty much. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> I was so disappointed that I didn't get to see what that was like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. uh but did it, it, it it's got the I, I assume it's got like the team up attacks like one three yes, that is all right that is characters. one of the other
1: cool things in the battles, which you can't again it kind of goes back to hey, I want to use this team, and they're just like, well no, too bad, form this team instead
0: yeah.
1: uh there are characters in the game that can combine like if you have them on the same co- party in combat. Uh they can combine. They do something called a unite attack. And the unite attacks are really fun little like uh lore almost things where this character and this character are best friends, so because of that they have a special unite attack if they're in battle together. And the unite attacks can do all sorts of different effects, such as doubling up on damage, um hitting all enemies. Uh what are some of the other cool ones? Uh are those like the big two effects that you get. Yeah, I can't I think really of remember. anything where you get a bonus effect like, oh, heal the whole party from this unite attack or anything like that. So
0: Yeah, I think it's mostly just like extra like pretty it's much. It's like, like bonus damage the... or group attack. Yeah.
1: Which is a cool concept. I like the idea of trying to fit two specific characters into a party just to take advantage of a unite attack like that.
0: But uh when I played one, the first one, uh I had the same issue as you did where like there's, like, three people that you have to have in your party. It's like, why are you giving me a hundred characters? Like, or not a hundred, yeah. really, but, like, 70 characters to choose from if you're only going to really let me pick three? like.
1: Yeah, d- <laughs> so they did that ridiculous. in the first game a lot, too. Yeah. Hmm. It's been a long time since I played through and 1, so I don't remember. That's yep. not very surprising. I feel like that's a thing throughout the series.
0: Which is, I don't remember how it was in 3 as far as that goes. I don't remember that.
1: Well, 3 is even weirder because it has the three main characters. And so it's switching between... Like, you have, um, you have Ghetto. You have the kid from the tribe. And then you have...
0: Do you have to use Got- Ghetto the whole time? I don't really remember.
1: Well, he's one of the main characters. Like, what they do is there are different chapters. And in each chapter, you'll play through this character's story... So you play through Ghetto's story for that chapter, and then you play through the kids' story for that chapter. And then there's a third person. Sure. I feel like it's a female knight. Whose yeah, it's, name, a, I it's a girl. Yeah. Some female knight, her dad's kind of a dick or something. And you play as those three. And you have to play... you To advance through the whole game, you have to play each character and get them to the point where they all meet up later.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So good game. Doesn't live up to the hype, maybe, but... Yeah, Pretty it's solid. not a bad
1: game at all. It's worth a playthrough for sure. Okay. It's just uh, I always hear so much praise about it, and I don't get to vent about how fucked up part of that game is sometimes. So <laughs> I I go off a little bit when I get the chance.
0: There you go. This is a safe place to do that. This is a safe environment. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> you're surrounded by friends here, man. <laughs> or at least one. Usually you're surrounded <laughs> by multiple friends, but this time you only have it's just true. me. True. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I played Castlevania: Aria of Sorrow oh, for damn. Game Boy Advance. You've played this? Um, yeah, I've played
1: all of the GBA titles. I think I've played all of the older Oh, okay. G or um Castlevania titles. Now I didn't know all that, that of you Sorrow, played um, Order of Ecclesia and what's the other GBA one or ones?
0: The I uh a few Circle of the Moon. Back...
1: Yeah, you've played that one. I yeah yeah.
0: Okay, okay. For some reason, I had talked about that one a few episodes back, and I didn't think you had played it for some reason.
1: It's just been a long time. Circle of the Moon is the one where you play as a character with the whip, right? Yep. Okay, and then he can like summon spirits. Just the way just that the... you were um, like just talking about it at the time, it, like, it didn't click with any of my memories, so I was just like, I'm just going to shut up and listen, because I don't remember what part gotcha. of this he's talking about, yeah.
0: It's the one where it's got, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think you summon any spirits, but you've got the card system. Yeah,
1: you've got cards that have the spirits on them, like Ifrit <laughs> and Shiva, things like that, I believe. And they give your whips like power-ups, like, um, yeah. your whip gets flame elemental from using an Ifrit card or whatever the hell. There, yeah, 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 that's
0: is. what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I played that one, like I said, a few episodes back, if you're listening to the show, you've probably heard that one and, I didn't really care for it. Uh, to me, it got way too repetitive. Like, all, I mean, part of that is what the Castlevania games are, is, like, doing some backtracking here and there. But for me, it was a little too much backtracking, and there wasn't a whole lot of variety between, like, the monsters that you would encounter and, like, the scenery and stuff like that. Castlevania Aria of Sorrow is very much like Circle of the Moon. It's, I mean... It's a, it's your basic Castlevania game where you're going around exploring, uh, just like any other Castlevania or Metroid game. And you're getting new abilities that allow you to, you know, you'll come across a, like a jump that you can't make. So you can't like go any farther. Or so you go explore in a different direction. And then eventually you get like a, like a double jump or something. So then you can go back and explore those places that you couldn't do earlier. That type of game. Uh, very, very similar in all those ways to circle of the moon. But I really like this one a whole lot better. Uh, cause I feel like it just executed everything better than circle of the moon did. Um, so obviously it's a Castlevania game. It's got a really cool set, like the really cool, like fun kind of gothic car setting and all that where it beats circle of the moon. In my opinion is it's got, there are a few areas it's got a, a better monster variety. So you're not just encountering like skeletons over and over and over again in just about every room you go through. There's a lot more variety as far as that goes. There's also a, a greater variety in like the, in like the scenery and the areas you're in. Like they look more different from area to area than the different areas do in Circle of the Moon. And there are more of them. There's a, the, the, they're more interesting and there's a better variety as well. Uh, also I feel like the level design just as the, just as far as the game as a whole, like the map as a whole is a lot better because it's, it's still a pretty big game. There are lots of, there are lots and lots of rooms and once again, it's still the Castlevania style where you're exploring and you might come across something like some room that you can't advance through for whatever reason, just because you don't have the ability that allows you to do that and then you go in a different direction and eventually you get some ability like like on one part for instance there's water and uh you can swim in the water but you can't like go down to the bottom of the water and so like uh, there's this one part where the water goes down at the end of this like stretch of a few rooms but you can't go there because if you jump in the water he doesn't go down into the water he just kind of floats at the top so eventually you get a an ability that lets you stand at the bottom of the water so you get that and then you go there and then you open up this whole new uh, section of the of the map that you can play through. This was executed better as well because they just kind of designed it to where, even though there's obviously some backtracking doing this stuff, I didn't feel like I was backtracking nearly as much as I was in Circle of the Mood. I felt like a lot of the time I was ex- – I, I spent much more time exploring new places You also get uh, pretty cool abilities, like you'll have, like, in Circle of the Moon, it was basically like your whip does this or that differently, for the most part. There were other things that were different from just what kind of attacks you do, but in this one, you've got, so in Circle of the Moon, it had the card system where you had basically two decks of cards, and you would pick up cards as you play, and and you pick one card from each deck, and you kind of, like, equip one from each deck at any uh given time and then the combination of the two gave you some sort of boost or or ability or whatever this one the system is different as far as that goes so you can uh you get abilities from some abilities you get from beating bosses some abilities you get from well there are three different types of abilities and they're not really called abilities they're called like spirits or something along those lines uh or souls or something you get some from bosses and those are yeah you thing. absorb
1: souls from enemies
0: yeah yeah so you absorb souls from bosses and then at any given time you can have one boss soul equipped and then sort of just randomly throughout the game if you whenever you defeat an enemy sometimes you'll absorb its soul and you get an, an ability from an enemy and you can have one enemy uh ability equipped and then you get like I think it was from, like, objects that you, like, get from beating bosses or something along those lines. Uh, I may be wrong on this last one. And you can have one of those equipped at any given time. So you have three of these abilities of different types equipped at any different time. And, like, some of them make, like, uh, scythes fly around you all throughout the air. And some of them give you, like, where if you hit somebody, then it gives – then you, like, uh, vamp a little bit of health from them and that kind of stuff. That system was pretty cool and it worked out pretty well. Um, they're also uh, this. This was the I, so I'm not like a huge Castlevania veteran or anything. I don't I don't know if this is done very often in other Castlevania games, but this one has lots of different types of weapons. And I don't even know if there. I don't it's even know if
1: comment Metroidvania's. So yeah, I know them that in the night. Uh, you can get like uh, 15 different weapon types, and in those okay. weapon types, there's like four, five, ten weapons each.
0: Okay, okay. So this one, I I guess is probably kind of like that. It's not just you have a whip.
1: Yeah, it's not like Circle of the Moon at all. You actually get to equip things in that slot.
0: You get to yeah, you get to equip different weapons in that slot, and and, and it's and another cool thing about the way they handle it is, it's not always just like, oh, this one's better than the last one. Like you might have a hammer, like there's a hammer that I got fairly early on and it does a lot of damage but it swings really slow. So like, it's good in some cases but not others and it kind of, and it really depends, it depends mostly on your play style. If you want something that's like quick and you can get in and out then you might, then you wouldn't want to use the hammer even though it does a lot of damage. And then like some of them like do a lot of damage but they don't have really good range and stuff like that. Later on, you do get some Weapons that are clearly just like really good and better than most of the others. Like, there, if you get past this one kind of difficult area, it's it's kind of like an optional thing, but you get this big ass sword that's got like huge range and does a lot of damage. That's really good. You actually can get a gun at one point that I never really used much, but you straight up just shoots people. You know, you can shoot them from across the screen. I don't think it does a ton of damage. Did you ever? Get, did you get the rocket launcher? No.
1: I, I didn't get yeah. The rocket launcher.
0: That's I amazing. think after you that's beat a... the
1: game you can buy it from the shop, maybe. Oh really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. I'm gonna have to go back and, and try to do that if that's the case, because that's pretty awesome. Uh yeah, so there's really cool stuff like that. Um The the bosses are all pretty cool and they're all pretty tough too. I like I don't think there was any boss that I just like beat on my first or second or third try. They they most of them, if not all of them, took multiple tries. Uh, except for the, uh, the, I guess like the, I would call them the pseudo final boss. So there are two ways, there are two endings basically. There's one way if you just kind of play it regularly. The final boss is actually, was actually super easy, and I think I did beat him on my first, maybe my second try. But if you go into the, uh, the final boss with, uh, a certain, uh, soul equipped in each three spots, then that, like, basically unlocks an alternate ending. And you kind of get hints from certain objects in the game, like, what you have to have equipped in those spots to uh, to get the alternate ending. <clears throat> and if you do... So the first time I, I beat the game, I didn't really realize that, and I just kind of got the vanilla ending, I was like, well, that was kind of a letdown, like, because it was really easy. But then, if you go back and equip these these three souls... And then beat the final boss, then it unlocks a whole other part of the game, which isn't very long. It's, it's, it's probably an extra like 10 or 15 minutes of like playing through levels and then, and then two or three, I forget there's, if it's like two or three bosses that you beat, uh, two or three extra bosses that it gives you to beat. And those are a lot tougher. They're not like incredibly hard <clears throat> compared to like the other bosses, but, but they were pretty tough. But all of them are fun and pretty challenging to beat. Again, except for the vanilla final boss was, was, was pretty easy. Uh, the controls feel really good. It just, once again, they, you know, typical Castlevania game. Well, I don't know if it's typical for all Castlevania games, but the jumping and the attacking all felt really responsive. The only things I don't like about the game are the main, they went like super emo on this one. Do you remember that, Blake?
1: Uh, a little bit, I like, mean, he, it's, I wouldn't say emo, but he's annoying as shit, for sure.
0: Well, he looks like, he's wearing a trench coat and he looks like a girl. <laughs> he, he, his hair's white, not black, so I guess he's got that going for him, but like, excuse me, I actually thought the main character was a girl when I first started playing it. Cause like, when you're, when you first, when the game first starts, it's got like some characters talking and you don't, it's not really 100% clear what character you're going to be playing as at first i mean it's it's fairly obvious but it's not like oh that's the main character like you can probably get you can pretty much guess that it is but like then you see it's like oh wait this is a girl i don't think they're going to have me playing as a girl as a main character throughout the game and then eventually like oh wait is this i go okay i guess that's not a girl
1: i never had that problem when i played the game okay maybe you just need If you to
0: look him. at if if you look at the character like the character while you're playing, he doesn't look really feminine. He's got the trench coat which I could do without. But then when it shows like the portrait of him, like when he's talking, I'm like, "Oh, that's a girl." And then I learned that it wasn't. Whatever, not a big deal. The uh the story and the character portraits are like 0.01% of the game. If you're playing a Castlevania game, you're not you've really playing. And you talk about it. it for 50% of <laughs> the time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, really fun game, really awesome game. I didn't really care for Circle of the Moon. This is very much like Circle of the Moon except in my opinion a lot better. It does everything better. I had a lot of fun with it. It's not very long. I think I beat it in about 5 hours. Well, I mean, which is which isn't super short either. That's that's how, that's 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 good for me. For a Game Boy Advance game, I don't want to be playing – a lot of times I don't want to be playing for like 10, 20, 30 hours. For a game like this, five hours is is a good length. I give it a thumbs up. Yay. Any thoughts, Blake, or you want to go ahead and move on to our top three? Let's move on to the top three. All right, so because Jay is a disappointment – the podcast and he's not here tonight we we're going to postpone our top 10 from 1991 which is what we were supposed to be doing this episode we're going to save that for the next one because we want to hear his thoughts on those as well that's kind of a big one that's that's our annual thing so we threw an impromptu top three together this time we're doing best visuals in a sega genesis game we did this for the for the nintendo a while back games with the best visuals in a nintendo game for a quick last second top three we thought this would be a good idea to do the same thing but go on to sega genesis so top three best visuals in a sega genesis game Best visuals is so good. did i slur it no i did that oh, was yeah. me talking okay i thought it was you impersonating me <laughs> uh do you how would you go first
1: um all right also um we did
0: get your emails for everybody
1: listening oh right. we got your top 10 lists of your top 10 from 91 they will be read when we get around to recording the next episode which will probably be in two weeks yeah just so you know um all right so i kind of want to do like a lot of the honorable mentions for, well we always do okay we'll wait we'll wait we'll wait we'll wait you know we, how you want to do them for, this is, our, this is your chance to shine. But I want don't want to, like, list some of them, and then have you be like, oh, that was on my list, that was on my list, that <laughs> one was on my list, too. Jay's the only one who gets sad about us saying games on <laughs> his list. Well, alright, that's fair. Um, alright, so I cut some of the games off of my list for multiple reasons, whether I hadn't played them, or whether, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so first up is Fantasy Star 4, a game I believe I've talked about on the podcast before. A game that I love and that it has some interesting visual styles. Overall, it's not incredibly impressive. But then I remembered one thing that I felt like it did very well. It has uh, like anime, like manga-esque cutscenes. So what it'll do is it'll bring up like, uh, you'll go into a cutscene and it'll have a frame that won't take up the entire screen. And in that frame, you'll see these two characters talking. And then it'll show a new frame, either the, below that or to the side of that one or something like that. That'll explain, oh, this is what's happening. This is this character talking now. And it transitions through their cutscenes in this way. And while that part of it is fantastic, the rest of the art style of the game isn't, uh, anything incredible. So I thought I'd cut it out of my top three. Some of the other ones, um, I'll do, I'll take this one off since I know you're talking about it. Okay. Uh, there's a game called Dynamite Heady that I saw the, uh, the art oh, right. for And I thought that looks, really, really good art-wise, but it's a game that I've never played, so I can't really connect to it at all, and I feel weird putting a game on my list that I don't know absolutely anything about. Uh, And then there's Flashback, which is another one that I have not played, but I've read about it a lot in an old video game guide. I can't remember which one. Uh, This one is kind of like um, out of this world, and it's like a point-and-click sort of game for consoles.
0: Well, it's kind of like a – it's more of a – it's kind of like a cross between a point-and-click and a platformer.
1: Yeah, yeah. You've got, like, some really awkward platforming, and then there are the – like, it's kind of like uh, – I'm trying to think of the term that I want to use for it. Not do-or-die situations, but, like, quote, puzzle situations where yeah. you – you, like, if you don't do the right thing at the right time, boom, you're dead. That's it. It's over. Yep. Um, this one actually has a fair amount of gameplay compared to other games of this kind of genre. Because you can go back, there's actual sort of gunfighting, you can power up your shields, things like that. So it's sort of cool in that regard. Uh, there's one called Quackshot, starring Donald Duck, which visually looked quite Quack good. I thought. Yeah, it, it looked pretty good. Uh, Rocket Knight Adventures, which I don't know if I've played this one or the Super Nintendo equivalent, whichever that's called, or if I've played both of them. But the game does look quite nice. Shinobi 3 had some very nice-looking art. Oh, and I thought finally, about
0: Shinobi 3.
1: I remember playing it, but I don't remember anything about it. It has some, like, <laughs> fucking cool-ass art. I will give it yeah. that. Uh, and then lastly, Sega's flagship, Sonic, had decent to great art throughout the series on, uh, on the Genesis, and okay. so it peaked, I would say, at the very end with Sonic 3. And Knuckles, just mashing those two together because they're supposed to be. All
0: right, my I'll go. So I, I am going to save one of my honorable mentions because it sort of goes along with one of the ones that uh, did make it on my list, and I basically right. left it off just so I wouldn't have two that could sort of go together. Um, my the only other two that I've got are NBA Live '95, which really looks really good in my in my opinion it's kind of got a i mean it's obviously the game sort of plays in 3d it has to it's it can't just be a straight-up 2d game but it, it really looks pretty good for for a uh, for a basketball game at this time and it looks a hell of a lot better than like the john madden games did for instance and uh in aladdin mostly because aladdin had a really good animation yeah like-
1: i meant to look up aladdin because i remember it looking nice on both systems and uh, then I just forgot about it until you mentioned it right
0: now. <laughs> Oops. So those are mine. I got one more. I'll throw it out there once we're, uh, once, we're once we're done. So uh, all right, so what's your number three then?: My number
1: three is Contra Hardcore. I just really like the name of it, that's the only reason I chose it. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, so the design of the game is uh, mostly good. You've got these really cool urban environments. You ride this cool, badass-looking train. The boss designs look fucking awesome. Giant robot enemies all over the place that look really well designed. The only bad art of the game, I would say, is that your characters look terrible. The playable characters are awful.
0: Everything oh, else is a One of the playable characters is a wolf with a gun for his arm, which is cool. Yeah i'm saying that's <laughs> the end all right so yeah uh
1: great art in the game except for the playable characters which look really stupid
0: except for the wolf doesn't look stupid all right whatever um okay. when you said fantasy star four <laughs> a minute ago i was typing it in to like look it up see what it looks like and that my finger accidentally hit the three right before it hit the four so i hit three four and then it auto filled uh Fantasy Star Rule Thirty Four. Oh
1: God.
0: <laughs> we'll move on. My number three is Thunder Force Three. This is uh like a side-scrolling shoot 'em up, like like an Helicopter R- game, like an art. Right? Uh, no, th- yeah, that's a uh, Super Thunder Blade. Okay. Uh, Thunder Force Three is is a lot like uh like R-Type in those kinds of games, and. Honestly, it it probably doesn't look as good as, like, plenty of other uh, games on the Sega Genesis. But there are some... Like, when I bought this game, when it, when it originally came out and I was playing this, like, I just remember being enthralled by how damn good the graphics were. And if you watch a playthrough, it, it doesn't really become uh apparent, like, right off the bat. But once you get, like, two or three levels in, it just starts looking really, really good. And I even remember, like my mom watching me play it and like my mom didn't give a shit about it. Like video games or anything like this, but I remember her and my dad watching me playing it and just being like, wow, this game looks so good. Huh. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my number three. It, again, it may not be the best, but I have a lot of it's my benefits. number three because my mom said so. Because my mom said so. <laughs> exactly. You summed it up for me. <laughs> so what's your number two?
1: My number two is another action game. Castlevania bloodlines very similar uh, to the reasoning before Castlevania or Castlevania Contra hardcore uh, the bosses look really cool the scenery it looks amazing. You walk past like a blood <coughs> a fountain that is just overpouring with blood. What's really cool about this game is that like some of the locations you'll go to include um, like you're going around the leaning tower Pisa and you're climbing up it and you can see the tower in the background while you're going up these platforms that are floating around the tower itself. Um, And uh, just a lot of really cool scenery like this, where in the background, there is this architecture that is very specific to the area that you're in, whether you're in Italy, whether you're in uh, Rome, or wherever you end up going in the game. The things in the background are uh, very specific to that era and that area, as a matter of fact, which uh, was really nice to me. I give the big thumbs up for that. Boss design is cool, um and the overall art flow of the game uh is really nice. There are very similar areas to like what I described with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, where you're like traversing around something like you're there's something happening in the background that is also part of the gameplay almost you know sure, really cool graphic work being done on that game. I wish I could remember what kind of tools they used for. Uh, like, what the Genesis had. Because we know about Mode 7 on Super Nintendo. Do you know what the Genesis had in that same way? I don't know what any of that is. Okay, well, uh, Mode 7 is basically what Star Fox is. It's the whole design of Star Fox.
0: It's like the engine?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the okay. chip. I think it was a chip, and I think Donkey Kong Country used it as well.
0: Oh, really? No, I don't know about that. All right. Uh, My number two is comics zone hey that was
1: my honorable mention oh my god
0: oh man this is i I played this a while back on the podcast maybe about a year or probably a little less than a year ago and it's a if you just look at just the graphics themselves it doesn't look particularly outstanding but the design more than anything is what's so cool about it. it it look so when you're playing the game it's set up As if you are – so you're you're a character in a comic book and you're going from panel to panel beating up like the monsters and stuff that are in – like on each page. And that's what's kind of cool about it. Instead of just being like one level that you're going through, you're actually in one comic book panel. And then when you get to the end of the panel, he like swings outside of the page sort of and like swings into the next panel of the comic book. And that's how the story is divided. And then it's kind of like a different-looking area. It's supposed to be like a different part of the story that you're in. A really interesting – well, I don't know interesting. It's a really unique uh visual design for the game, and it, and it works out pretty cool. It, the game itself is not that great, but that aspect of it is pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, I agree. I don't actually
1: remember much about Comic Zone myself. I'm not sure that I ever played it, but uh, – artistically you have to admit that game did a lot of really cool stuff like the swinging from panel to panel just really nice little touch and like the fact that you're living that like each scene kind of happens in a panel you beat some guys up in there and then you move to the next panel and like they're all set up very differently it's a really really creative use of the the world of the comic idea that they wanted to run with yep number one time you ready I think so. Alright, my number okay, one... Okay, yeah, I am. Okay, alright, good. Uh, my number one is the only RPG on this list of my actual oh, wow. top three. And it is Shining Force 2, a strategy RPG, which made me fall in love with the strategy RPG genre. And it's overall, it's a very bright, colorful, vibrant world. The art isn't necessarily anything too standoutish. The thing that made me fall in love with this game and fall in love with the idea of strategy RPGs in general is the character designs. In uh, in the field, when you're talking to the characters, they, they all look very different. And they'll have some similarities between characters that will share classes sometimes. But you'll have one character that rides around in a caravan that has a cannon attached. You have got centaur characters. Some of the centaur characters use bows. Some of them use lances. You've got elves that join your team that have giant bows. You've got tons of swordsmen. You have a rat that becomes a ninja later on. Uh, The wizards look really cool. They're summoner kind of characters that summon the wrath of Atlas, and Atlas Fist just comes down and pummels the shit out of whoever you cast it on. Nice. It's overall really fucking cool uh, art design that helped get me into that genre entirely. Um, in battle, uh, you'll, like, so in battle, uh, you, like I said, you have, at, you'll summon Atlas. It'll punch the crap out of somebody. Uh, other characters, you can, like, summon giant thunderstorms on top of a character. You can, uh, rain fire down on enemies, which looks really cool. Uh, the, uh, the design of the characters themselves tend to look very nice in the battles. Out of the field, they will be, like, little sprites, and they'll have their little, they'll, you'll see them and you'll be like, oh yeah, that looks kind of cool. And then in battle, like they just strike this big heroic pose, and then they swing a huge battle axe at somebody. And overall, the game's uh, art design is just incredible.
0: Awesome! I'm a very big fan of Shining Force too. My number one is do do one that it. you Be mentioned. <laughs> you mentioned I, it thought, I bet record. I know
1: what it is. What do you think? It's Sonic Three.
0: No, it's uh, oh. a flashback. Oh wow!
1: Okay. That explains yeah. why you chimed in when I brought it up now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, actually, I would say that it's like a point-and-click platformer. Thank you very much. That was like, oh, all right, so Robert has kind of played this. Cool. Good. Good to yeah. know. And, point, and,
0: and I wouldn't say point-and-click, actually. Either, it's not point-and-click, a...
1: exactly, but it's like the same kind of idea, but I don't know how to describe it better.
0: The, the reason I don't say point-and-click is because you have direct control over the character. Yeah. As opposed to saying, like, go here. Go over there. But anyway, uh, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like a puzzle game. It's like a puzzle game with exploration. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks, the game looks really good, just, just taken for face value. But also, uh, this along with Aladdin was one of the few games, and this is much more so than Aladdin. I remember when I bought this game and I was playing it and just remembering how like detailed all of the animations are. Like, when your guy runs, when he climbs up, uh, like, when he climbs, like, if he's dangling from a ledge and he, like, climbs up the ledge. In most games, that would be, like, a three-frame animation or something lame like that. But this one, like, it looks really detailed and realistic the way, like, the animation they give him to do certain things. Like, basically any action in the game looks really realistic. Not that the graphics themselves are realistic, but the way the characters move look realistic, which which... Really makes up for a whole lot, but and the but the graphics themselves do look really good anyway, even without that. So uh, uh, it's also they've also got really cool looking cutscenes. So all of those things combined together, this this was a game that kind of blew me away in those in those respects. And going back to my honorable mention that I was talking about earlier, I have to give that to Another World, which I think. Did you mention that one or you, I think you I, said maybe.
1: I said out of this world, but I think they're the same game and I just got the name.
0: Yeah, out. yeah. Yeah, I think they are the same game. I think you mentioned what like tangentially to flashback, but yeah. Yep. Uh, Another world uh, is a precursor to flashback. It kind of has the same thing. It's got these really, really good animations. They're just not quite as tight or quite as good as they are in flashback and the graphics aren't quite as good either. But that one looks really great too. And it kind of does all the same things, just really not as good as flashback does. So there's our last second top three list. Didn't that wasn't too bad? That came out pretty good. Went all right. Went all right. Could have been worse. Move on to emails. So unfortunately, we got like more emails than ever, and we can't talk about half of them this time. Uh, Most of you guys wrote in. most of Most of you guys who wrote in wrote about the the top ten that we were supposed to be doing. The best, the top ten games of 25 years ago, 1991. As Blake said a few minutes ago, we're not going to read those. We're going to save those for the next episode, where we actually do do our top tens. Uh, we do have, I think, two emails though that don't fall in that category. So I'll go ahead and whip those out. Uh, sorry if I'm holding off on yours, but we—I promise we will get—we will get to them next time. Um, the first comes from Chase the Night Cleaner. He actually sent in two emails. One about the 1991 games and one separate one. Uh, in the last episode I was asking, I, I mentioned that I'm probably going to get a new uh, classic console, and I'm thinking between Sega CD, Atari Jaguar, and Atari 2600, kind of leading in towards Sega CD. Chase says, hey, Robert, go for Sega CD over Jaguar. Better game library, and the games are still relatively affordable. Sega hasn't spiked as high as Nintendo quite yet. Also Sega CD games will be easier to find. Jaguar games are rarer and so cost more. Also, you'll want each game to be complete in box for the unique controller insert overlays for each individual game. This will add this will add up in terms of dollars and could sometimes lead to disappointment if a game you find is missing components. Jaguar has some very cool games and is a collector's item, but I expect you'll have more fun long term with the Sega CD as there are more games. Just my thoughts cheers those are all really good points thank you chase yeah most of, I, I I like to buy a lot of my stuff complete in box anyway because I really like having the boxes and all that kind of stuff so I'm not worried so much about not getting something that doesn't have the overlay for the controller because in most cases I should have that but I do think I'm, I've kind of decided that I'm gonna go for the Sega CD Mostly for the other reasons that Chase said. Uh, it's just got a better library. So at this point, I'm kind of more interested. in. At this point, it makes more sense to buy a Sega CD than an Atari Jaguar, just because there's more cool stuff to play at it. So I, th- I think I'm probably going to end up getting a Sega CD pretty soon. And uh, I'll be definitely playing a lot of Sega CD games once I get that. You can guess what the first one on the list is going to be, Blake night trap it'll be night trap for sure i didn't i wasn't allowed to buy night trap when i was little (laughs) so i've never i've never played it my neighbor across the street had it but i never got a chance to play his copy of it so i'm really looking forward to playing night trap i'm sure i will be massively disappointed but i'm also sure that i'll be massive or at least somewhat entertained so it's looking like i'm probably gonna go for a sega cd we'll see what happens thanks chase Again, we'll get to your other email next time. Uh, Alex wrote one that was not necessarily related to the top tens, but uh, it was kind of directed primarily towards Jay, so I'm going to hold off on that one. Jeffrey Walker wrote in a top ten for 1991. We're going to hold off on that. So we got one more. This one is from Michelle. Michelle sends in an email titled, A Big Fat-Ass Email. Uh, I haven't read this yet. But I did just scan through it just to make sure it wasn't related to the top ten and doesn't look like it is. So, here we go. Hey, Robert, Jay, and Blake. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, and I feel like it's high time I tell you how much I enjoy it. Thanks, Michelle. I'm actually not much of a gamer, but I started listening because I wanted to hear about classic point-and-click adventures. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah! And then I just got hooked in general. Awesome. (laughs) That's great. That is great. Funnily enough, enough, I discovered the podcast because I was searching iTunes for anything related to the King's Quest series, of which I'm a big fan. So, of course, the first episode I listened to was episode 19 in which Robert completely lambasts King's Quest (laughs) (laughs) V. Setting aside my nostalgia for the game, I can acknowledge that Robert's criticisms were all on point, as was his impression of Cedric the Owl's so-bad-it's-good voice acting. (laughs) I grew up with King's Quest, so my feelings of nostalgia for it are strong. However, after playing great LucasArts titles like Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle... (laughs) For the first time as an adult, I admit that Sierra games don't hold up as well today as their LucasArts competitors. You're damn right they don't. <laughs> Having said that, Robert, in case you'd ever consider playing another King's Quest game, King's Quest VI is arguably the best installment of the series. The story is much more cohesive, and it uses professional voice acting, so no more hard owl voices. <laughs> Plus... <laughs> I gotta go back. I remember the owl being really bad, but I don't remember actually what he sounds like. I really gotta go back and check this out in a second. Uh, plus, the art is gorgeous, and owl, that's that's something I'll say for most of the Sierra games. They really did have good art. Uh, unfortunately, there are still some frustrating aspects, including the dreaded unwinnable states. Those were not eliminated from the series until King's Quest VII. Still worlds above King's Quest V, though. That's good to hear, uh, Michelle, because actually, I, I've got like, th- like three, I already, like, have my th- pretty much three or four next, uh, games for the podcast lined up. But I did kind of want, I was thinking about going back and playing either another King's Quest or Space Quest game, mostly just, like, to see how bad they were. So, uh, I might go on to King's Quest VI sometime in the near future, given what you've said. Uh, Michelle says, or if you really can't bear to play another King's Quest game but are willing to give Sierra one more chance, can I recommend the Quest for Glory games? They're hybrid point and click slash RPGs. My boyfriend is a LucasArts man like yourself, but the one Sierra Se- but the one Sierra series he can get behind is Quest for Glory. I uh I've I I have I, I bought all of like GOG had, like, two or maybe even more years ago, there was a big GOG sale, of course, and they had, like, a Sierra bundle or something like that, and it was, like, all of the Quest for Glory, all of the Police Quest, all the King's Quest, and all of the Space Quest games, it was, like, 20 bucks. So, of course, I bought it. So I do own the Quest for Glory games. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with those growing up like I was with King's Quest and all that, so I don't know much about them, but now, but that actually kind of intrigues me as well. So I might try to get to that at some point as well. Um, Michelle says now onto the topic of character names First off Jay I agree with you that Dante Is a pretty cringy name I thought you should know that you have Someone on your side in that argument Second I teach English in Japan Oh, that's pretty cool And sometimes JRPG character names pop up In real life <laughs> This should be good Oh god no. <laughs> Uh oh no one named squall or titus of course but i've actually taught a boy named sora oh and currently have a st- <laughs> currently have a student named riku oh are you going to be okay blake no,
1: I've got to go throw up. I'll be back in a few <laughs> minutes, all right? <laughs> oh.
0: Riku, that's kind of bad. I can deal with that, though. Like, Sora, I just can't handle it.
1: Uh, my question would be, like, are either of those common Japanese names? And for yeah. Riku, I think Riku might be, but I believe Sora goes along with the typical naming convention that uh, Square ran for with for a while. Where it refers to something to do with the sky or with clouds or with storms. Um I mean tr uh now on a small short billed rail of marshy areas north of of North America. Well, that's not it. <laughs> 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 I remember seeing somewhere that it Sora also relates some to something uh like to do with the sky.
0: Okay.
1: Dictionary.com. Merriam Webster. Maybe Webster has something different. Nope.
0: Boy, well, this would have to be the Japanese definition. Well, no, because cloud, squall,
1: lightning.
0: Yeah, but th- were those their names in Japan? Yes. Oh, really? Like they were actually uh, called lightning, not like the Japanese equi- equivalent of lightning.
1: I'm pretty su- sure. I want
0: to say yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, unfortunately, so far I haven't seen anyone named Ryu. <laughs> actually pronounced close to Ryu. Okay, but as one syllable. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, so kind of like like Ryu. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Uh. Finally, a fun fact. Anyway. In- in Japanese, the character Tingle's name actually does have a K sound <laughs> instead of a G. Oh! It would be romanized as Chinkuru and I, I don't know. I don't. And I've seen it spelled Tinkle with a C. Huh. Okay. The translators must have decided that tingle with a g yeah would seem better yeah, I think you're probably yeah. right there Michelle would seem better to a, to an english speaking audience but i'm personally not sure which one is worse no tingle would definitely have been worse
1: oh yeah as far as a name as a character he's terrible either way
0: picturing that character and imagining either tinkling or tingling is creepy to me <laughs> good point anyway this email got pretty long pretty quickly, so I think I'll sign off here. Thanks for making my commute to and from work a lot more entertaining every few weeks. Yeah, unfortunately, it's only every few weeks lately. Uh, Please keep doing what you're doing later, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, I appreciate the recommendations. King's Quest VI and Quest for Glory. I might go for King's Quest VI sometime in the near future because I have played a couple of... Uh, Space Quest games, and I'm pretty sure King's Quest, f- I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure King's Quest 5 is the only King's Quest game I've ever played, so maybe I'll give it a shot, if for no other reason than to rage about how badly I hate it.
1: That's a fair reason, I'd say.
0: That's good, I think, I think so. Yeah. So, uh, those are the emails. Once again, we'll get back to those other, uh, we got, th- actually, yeah, we got three others. We will get back to those in the next episode. I think it's time for the final portion of the podcast, the current gaming subcast.
1: Oh boy, I will try to keep this part short. I'll let you go first because uh, I could do this for a bit. But I'm I could try too. To.
0: <laughs> oh shit. I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna save one, and I'm just gonna go with just one for this time. Uh, I've okay. been playing uh, Duskers. You may have you heard much about this? No, Anything about this at all? So this is a new, uh, space, uh, roguelike game that came out, I guess about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago. And it is, it's an indie game. You are, uh, you kind of like, it's, it's, it's unclear like how you got there or what you're doing exactly, but you launch the game and you see kind of like a text interface and it's like giving you some readouts. And it's saying like your spaceship, it's, it's kind of like telling you like, okay, it's very clear you're in a spaceship and it's telling you like what your status is and all this stuff. And this is, oh crap, you're low on fuel. And so what you're doing is you're traveling through, uh, throughout the galaxy, going to different star systems and stuff. And you're trying to figure out like you're trying to find, it, it says that one of your objectives is, is to find survivors. Survivors of what you don't know, but you're going from, uh, like, derelict spacecraft from one derelict spacecraft to the next checking them out seeing if there's any survivors you don't ever find any, any survivors at least I don't believe you ever find any I've played the game I've got like 20 hours logged and haven't found any live survivors I don't think that ever happens but you're also looking for scrap and fuel fuel so obviously so you can like keep playing through the game and scrap so you can uh, fix parts of your ship and, and, and upgrade and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, the main thing you're doing, like, gameplay-wise is, so when you start off, you're on one location and you're at, you're at like a, a, once again, a derelict spacecraft of some sort. And you as the character don't do anything yourself. You send these, you have these little drones that you control, and you send a separate, like, kind of a docking ship down, and it docks with whatever spacecraft you're at, and you're looking at like a schematic view of the uh of what's going on. And you see your spacecraft land and then you've got these you start off with 3 you can get up to 4 of these drones at one time and you're controlling them sending them throughout the ship to uh see what to see what all there is on the ship. Again, you might find you might look for fuel so you can like keep going or uh scrap so you can improve or fix your your own stuff. And you have to be really careful because sometimes you might uh, like open a door or something and there's some kind of like security drone in there or even some sort of uh, organic thing of some sort. Sometimes they'll like start running after you and you got, and if you, and you might be able to get them out of the room fast enough and shut the door. But usually if you find something like that and if they see you, they attack you pretty quick and pretty hard. So a lot of times, if you get caught by one of those, your drone is dead. If all your drones get killed, obviously you can't go anymore, so you gotta reset the game and start over. So that's where the roguelike component of it comes into play. What's really interesting about the game is, for most of the game, you're playing, you're looking at, again, like a schematic view of what's going on, so you land on a ship and you see like, kinda like in a, from a top-down perspective, sort of, like just a layout of the ship that you're looking at and that your drones are on. And you can see, like, where the walls are, like, where the rooms are, where doors are, and you see where each of your drones are. And you're commanding them through a command line interface. So if you want uh, one room, one uh, drone to move from one room to, to another, you would type navigate 3R4. And that means navigate drone number 3 to room number 4. And then the drone will will move to that room. Uh, you can take direct control of the drones, which you do. I'd say it's about fifty-fifty between you taking direct control of the drones, and then between you like looking at a larger like pulling out to the schematic view and commanding them through the command line interface and just typing commands to them. Uh, if you type, if you just press the number of a drone, then it zooms into like a camera view of that drone and you can kind of like actually see what the room looks like, what kind of junk is around in the room and you can control it directly as opposed to just telling it to go to one room or another. Sometimes if your ship starts to get a little bit worn down, then you'll then you might be controlling a uh, a drone and then lose the video feed all of a sudden. And it'll say like video feed lost, trying to reacquire and you might have to like wait a few seconds for that to come back. Uh and then like each of the drones also has certain things that can do. So you can Load each one up with up to, like, three modules. And some of them, like, one drone you'll have that can gather stuff. And you need that one for sure. Uh, And that picks up any scrap and fuel that you find. And then another one might have, like, a motion detector. And so you might have one drone sitting there and you'll turn on his motion detector. And then it'll show you in each of the nearby rooms whether it's detecting no motion at all and it's safe to go in. Or if it's showing, like, red lines, that means it detects motion in there. And there's something in there that's probably going to kill you and potentially all of your guys if you go in there and sometimes it'll show yellow which is like it can't get a clear reading of the room and that's where things really start to get interesting you have to play really 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 carefully uh especially in cases where you're not sure what's going on but what you can do is for instance like if there are two rooms next to each other and one of them you've got a clean reading on and there's nothing in there and the other one, it's yellow, and, and, and you're not sure what, what if there's anything in there or not. What you can do is you can open the door between the two rooms, because you because if you power up the generator, then you have control over just a whole certain portion of the ship. You can open a door, and then wait a minute, and theoretically, if there's a if there's some sort of like a rogue or security drone of some sort in the one that you can't read, it'll eventually make its way into the room where you can see what's going on. So if that one turns red all of a sudden. Then you know that there's a bad guy there, and then you can lock him in that room, and then go explore the other one that he was in previously, because it's a pretty safe bet that there weren't two in that room at a time. Uh, it's a really cool game, really fun, really embraces the roguelike setting, but it also has a kind of a, as you play and keep playing, it's kind of got a, it's got a pretty cool storyline that starts to emerge, and it actually reminded me a little bit of NetHack in a way, uh, I talked about NetHack a few episodes back, not not just because you're using the command line, which I guess really you don't really use the command line in NetHacks. But but what it did remind me of is in NetHack you have to play very much like you would as if this was a real life scenario. So for instance, in NetHack, if you pick up a potion and there's a if you pick up a potion and there's a small chance that it's like poisonous then you're not going to try drinking it because it could ruin your entire game just doing that one thing. So it's like, in real life, if you see a potion on the ground and it's like 10% chance that that that, that thing is going to poison you and 90% chance that it's going to do something good, you're probably not going to drink it because you don't want to take a 10% chance that you're going to die. That's how it is in uh, NetHack. That's how it is in this game, too. You really, really cannot take risks. And if you do, you have to be really super careful about it uh, because... If you do something wrong, then it, there's a good chance that it's gonna, that you're, all of your drones are going to get destroyed and you're going to have to start over. I really like the tension that, that builds up in that way. But I've gone on for too long, so I'll stop now. Really fun game. Oh, all right. I said I was going to go fast. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> anyway,
1: do we have time to talk about yours now? No, it's actually the end of the world now, and everybody is dead, so there's no time. (laughs) Check us out on our next episode when we talk to the four horsemen. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Uh, All right, I guess I'll keep mine a little bit brief. Uh, Actually brief. Hey, what's up? I've been playing Pokemon Go. Oh, oh, oh,
0: I meant to ask you.
1: It's not even because I care about Pokemon that much or anything. I don't really give much of two shits about it. It's not like, oh, I'm going to become the biggest Pokemaster of all fuck-off time. I'm going to be the very best like none of you other bitches. No, for me, it's honestly like I'm making myself be hype because like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm going to go catch some more Pokemon. I'm going to evolve some of these dudes. That's cool. We're leveling stuff up. Numbers are increasing. And I'm making myself have that attitude because it is promoting me to go outside and do something outside of my room and get some exercise and uh that's been pretty great. Cool. I've, the
0: I've, game I've itself pretty, is I've very been...
1: lacking, and it needs some work still. I pray to God that they actually add some good content, some gameplay. <laughs> what a concept that would be. Um, overall, like, whatever, Pokemon Go gets me out of the house, gets me moving. The other game that I was playing, and that I have since done everything in my power to not smash into a million bits, was a game gifted to me by a friend, one of the same guys that recommended Garandia 2, as a matter of fact. Game, an RPG that just came out a few weeks ago by the name of Star Ocean Integrity and Faithlessness, or Faithfulness. Faithlessness. Faithless. Those are
0: two opposite things.
1: Well, okay. Red and blue. Look, I used them in the sentence next to each other. What's your fucking point, Robert? (laughs) Okay, I have
0: one Mostly. So, all time. right, all
1: right it's like are you going anywhere with this? No. are you like, they can't do that? <laughs> it's not okay, you can't have two opposites in the title, uh, so I played it, and I didn't have a lot of faith in it myself when it first when I was first hearing about it, I was like, yeah I don't care that much, and so a friend gifted it to me, sent it over, and I was like, all right, I've got just enough time to play this right now.' I am going to try to enjoy this, so I booted it up, and it started off showing some potential, and I thought, yeah, all right, cool, not a big deal, um, this looks like it might go somewhere, and then it did, it went very slightly up, very, very slightly for a little bit, and then over the next said- 10 hours, shot off. <laughs> <laughs> over the next 10 hours it went from okay to bad to dear god why am i playing this oh, wow. and it went from bad to why am i playing this over the course of maybe 2 hours it went from okay to shit in record time wow. i was in i can't believe how crappy it was um it's uh god where do i even begin So it's got a classic Star Ocean combat style. It does this one really cool thing where uh, you'll see the enemies on the map, and you'll walk into them to get into a fight. And then after you walk into them, there's no battle transition. Instead, it just makes borders around where you can't leave, where you can't go beyond. So, And then as soon as you beat them, it just transitions very smoothly back into a field. I really like that aspect of the game. They did that very well. I thought that was very, excuse me, very cool. Um, the combat, unfortunately, is very bland. Um, what ends up happening towards the end of the game, the reason I ended up quitting, I got to this one point where there's a mission where you have to protect one of your party members while, she, while enemies zero in on her and do, do almost nothing but try to beat the shit out of her. And she will die within two seconds sometimes if these enemies are on their game. So you have to, quote, protect her. And this got really annoying because <laughs> this mission comes out of nowhere. Up to this point, battles for the most part have been kind of autopiloty, which goes back to the blandness of it. Um, for those yeah. wondering, no, there's no good way to be like – to draw aggro. There's no taunt ability or anything like that to protect this character. You just have to get in there and beat the crap out of the enemies very quickly and hope that you somehow distract them instead. <sighs> So I make it past this first protect her mission. Then later on, there's another one where you protect her and you protect her and you find you find a way to strategize around these enemy spawns. You're like, okay, I got it. And then a giant mech shows up and starts flamethrowing everywhere. And you're like, what the fuck? Holy shit. Oh, she's already been burned to a crisp. Great. Now, the problem is another (laughs) big thing here that's going on is that you have seven characters in your party. This is way too many for a game of this magnitude. I'll explain more of that later. So you've got seven characters in your party, and the AI is all determined by roles that you're able to equip them with. These roles determine their actions, what they're supposed to be doing, as well as their, like, priorities, and uh, it also gives, like, some stat bonuses. So uh, I've got one character equipped with a healer thing with two different healer roles, and this basically tells her, you should prioritize on healing. And then another one says, no, you should really prioritize on healing, okay? <laughs> What this doesn't tell the dumb bitch to do is it doesn't make her walk away from a fight. She'll be, So she'll just stand there and she'll be like, hey, this person's missing half their HP. I'm going to cast a heel. And then an enemy will go, hey, she's trying to cast a heel. I'm going to go pop her in the mouth. And so he walks over there and pops her in the mouth, knocks her down, and then her heel gets canceled. So the person you're trying to protect is now at half H- half HP and quickly depleting. And before your healer can even get off the ground, the person you're p- supposed to be protecting is dead. So you eventually make it through this mission. You get up to another protect mission. This one isn't as bad. It's annoying because this one is a swarm of enemies. You probably have to kill 15 enemies, maybe 20 before this is done, before this fight is done. But the AI, the enemy AI here is so stupid that they keep getting caught on the walls outside of the room that she's in. (laughs) So, you just walk out there and they're like running into the wall. Just <laughs>
0: like classic video game
1: style. Classic, like old school bad AI. It's that yeah. stupid. So, you kill all them and then you're like, alright, cool. That was a protect mission. I want to go save after that. Unfortunately, the save point is behind a door that will no longer unlock since you have now entered this room. Your only option is to go forward <laughs> after this five oh, minute fight of fighting wave after wave of enemy. And to go into another room and fight a boss that can it kill you, that can uh, deplete like half of your HP at least with one of his attacks.
0: Holy shit! Wait, this is not to mention he's got
1: a bunch of a. uh, I don't remember. He's a big enemy crab. He's a giant enemy mech crab.
0: No, no. What's what's the game?
1: Oh, the game. um, Star Ocean: Integrity and Faithlessness. It's on PlayStation 5 or PlayStation PlayStation 4. I don't have a time machine. Sorry to inform everyone. Uh, The PlayStation 5 is not out. Yes. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm I thought worst. you leaked it. No, not yet. That's after the stream after the cast. I got to go oh. to the bathroom anyway.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, that's right. Leak puns. We make those. <laughs> Shut the to, fuck up.
0: You have to tingle.
1: I have to tingle with a C. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes me
0: sad just saying that. Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: So this stupid boss, like, he'll, again, your AI is really dumb. They don't know what they're doing half the time at least. He's also – so this boss got has one attack that targets one person. He's got another attack that does a giant spin AoE around him for at least 2,000 if not more damage. Um <laughs> And then you finish this fight, and blah, 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 the story goes on. The next big problem area of the game comes – When you're not protecting somebody, so you get to the save point at the end of a dungeon, and you save. And you walk into this room, and there's a cutscene. You're saving your dad. There's going to be some spoilers here. The story is not that important to this game. The story is also very bland. Another huge mark against it. It was so bad. Oh, I was so bored with the story and the combat. Two strikes against the game, Uh, especially a JRPG. That's big. So you go into this room... And your dad has been held prisoner, and there's this asshole bandit leader or something. I don't even know if he's a bandit or what. I can't remember because I couldn't be bothered to pay attention to the shit story. <laughs> so this guy kidnaps your dad, and you walk into this room, and he's like, ah, soldiers, get him. And so your girlfriend-type character is up there saving your dad, trying to get him out of the chains. And you and your friends are fighting off wave after wave after wave after wave of enemies. You eventually kill them all, and then there's a cut scene. So then this cutscene wraps up. Then you go to another cutscene back of the town where you're at the inn and you're grieving over your dead father. You're sitting on a bench, sitting on a stool and you're just sitting there. Just, and your girlfriend is behind you and she's like, yeah, I understand if you're upset. That's totally understandable. And this cutscene goes on for a little bit of her talking to him going like, Hey, let me know if you can do any, if I can do anything to help. And you just keep sitting there. She stops talking and you just keep sitting there. There's no indication that you are supposed to pick up the controller at this point and hit the control stick to make your character <laughs> rise out of the stool. There is no indication whatsoever aside from the deafening silence. <sighs> so you get up and you're like, all right, thank God the cutscenes scenes are over. Maybe oh, well. I can go do some combat where I can level up and learn some fun <laughs> abilities. But before I go out and do some combat, I would like to save at the save point at the front of this inn. You can't use the save point. It's red. That means that you can't use it, so you have to go out the front door. You think all right, fine, I'll go out the front fucking door of the inn, and then I'll go back in, and maybe that will end the scene the sequence that is causing me to not be able to save my game. No, you walk out the front door, and that door locks itself. <laughs> And then you have to do a fight against that fuckhead's mooks again. So you kill his mooks, and then you turn around a corner. By the way, you still can't go save. You go around a corner, and what do you know? It's fuckface himself, and you have to get into a boss fight without saving after all this crap. I should also note that there's no way to skip cutscenes, just so everyone (laughs) is aware. (laughs) You know where this is going. So you get into this boss fight, and there have been some bad boss fights up to this point, <laughs> but nothing too bad. Until this guy happens. He's a son of a bitch, and what he does, he gets down, once you get him down to like below 50% HP, the boss fight in general, it's like it's annoying because the, the chaos of the battle, you cannot see what is going on thanks to the size of the characters and th- to, compared to the size of the animation of the attacks. You don't know what's going on all, ever. So you get him down to 50% HP, and then all of a sudden he gets pissed, and he punches the ground, and he creates a fiery shockwave that hits your characters multiple times, uh, and it keeps hitting them back, so they're getting hit stunned. And it emanates out from him, and it will hit because your AI is so stupid, and because of the fact that this uh, area-of-effect attack hits at least 50%, if not 75% of the battlefield, he basically wipes out your whole team. It hits every character for like a 1,000 damage per time it hits them, and it will hit them over and over and over and over. So you're left with one or two characters, and then you're supposed to somehow recover from this. You're supposed to somehow, without having an AoE res, you're supposed to be able to get your whole team back on its feet and recovered from this attack that they were too stupid to handle in the first place. It's impossible. You cannot recover from this moment. And this is one of the other big problems with the game, the fact that there is a seven-person party system sucks ass compared to older games where you have four, five, maybe six in a game like Suikoden. And honestly, if someone dies in Suikoden, you're screwed too, you're not going to recover from that, but it's much easier to prevent your characters from dying. So, in an old game, like, (laughs) let's take take Star Ocean 2, a Star Ocean game that I really, really, really like myself. You have four characters. If three of them die and you're left with one character, you use a res effect. Congratulations, you have 50% of your team up and functioning at that point. If you use a res effect... In, um, in Star Ocean 5, what's going to happen? You have two of seven people up. That's not even a third of your team. That's not even 33% of your characters. So guess what the other character is going to go do now that you've resed them? They're going to go off. They're at half health, and they're going to get their asses kicked by the boss again. <laughs> you cannot recover from this situation. It is nearly impossible. So I, the first time I ran into this fight, I thought, oh, shit, I must have messed something up kind of bad. Maybe if I go back into it, it won't be as bad. The second time I go into the fight, it's even worse. The first time I fought this guy, he used that big AoE attack twice. So I thought it was like an HP percent trigger. So I was like, oh, if I just don't damage him for a while, it'll be okay. I'll be able to maybe res up my team, run away from him for a while, and eventually get back on my feet. No, the second time in the fight, he used it four or five different times. And so I just gave up. I immediately turned off the game and I was like, guys, I'm done. I'm not playing this game anymore. This is stupid. The only reasonable way to get through this fight is to A, grind up a bunch, or B, deal with the game's crafting system. And if you didn't discover the crafting crafting system earlier, because being able to craft in the Star Ocean game is kind of important by the way, and yet it's hidden behind a side quest that they don't alert you to at all.
0: You sound as mad at as- This game as I did at Kingdom Hearts. No, I'm much more mad. (laughs) Do not play Star Ocean 5. All
1: right, that's it. The the boss fights are bad, and apparently it gets – it either stays that bad or it gets worse from there, according to people in the chat that have played it. I know apparently multiple people that have just rage quit at that point. They were like, there's no point in this. This is stupid. So anyway, that's it for the current gaming subcast, I think.
0: Yeah, I can't follow that up. I got nothing.
1: Good, good. So um, next podcast, two weeks from now, yeah?
0: Two weeks from now.
1: Hopefully we'll have less to be angry ranty about. I really hope so.
0: Hopefully we'll have (laughs) less to be angry ranty about. Hopefully it actually will be two weeks, and hopefully there (laughs) will be three of us.
1: Hopefully. Uh, Until next time, everybody, thanks for tuning in.
0: Thanks for listening. Leave us kick-ass reviews on iTunes. Send us an email, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. Rant about some game that you hate really bad. Why not?
1: Yeah. You know what? Hit us up. Yeah, do it. Tell us what you think. Yell at me for not liking Suikoden 2. Tell me yeah, why do it's it. a great game.
0: Do it on a stream, too. Twitch.tv <laughs> slash Slackaholicus. Slash subscribe. And finally, slash subscribe.
1: <laughs> Give me your monies if you're going to come yell at me.
0: Yeah, yeah, Give me exactly. that kindness at least. At God. least do him that. At least give him the cur- give him that courtesy if you're gonna yell at him. That's it. We'll see you guys hopefully in two weeks. Peace and We're chicken out. grease. Countdown three, two, one.